Hi, my name is Mike Dunham. Um, I really wasn't sure what to expect on going to a mission trip, what I would see or how I would feel, or even how I would react to what I was seeing. All I know is that I wanted to share the love of Jesus Christ with uh, those people and to positively impact their lives. Uh, many years ago, I felt a strong urging that I should be going on a mission trip. Um, our church at the time was talking about Africa, so I was thinking about Africa at the time, but I didn't, I didn't take them up on it. I didn't go. Um, I actually felt uh, that I was being disobedient at the time. But in 2012, here in the church, I listened to a message from Mike and Michelle Tessendorf. They are the founders of Orchard Africa. I listened to the vision that they had for the continent of South Africa or from Africa and also um, the things that they had already done to positively impact the people from that country. And I felt the stirring again in my heart. And very shortly after, my daughter and I both signed up for the team that was going the next year. And I was so thankful that God allowed me to, uh, that second chance because I felt like I had missed it before. And uh, I thank him to this day that I was able to go. So I just got back this year and that was my fifth trip to South Africa. There are so many stories to tell and uh, things that have impacted my life. I've never felt more connected to God than while I'm on those trips in that continent. Um, what I realize is they have impacted me far more than I could ever have impacted them. Seeing the hope that they have in the midst of the poverty that they deal with on a daily basis is awe-inspiring, and I take it with me every day. Also, seeing the devastation that HIV and AIDS has had on, the, on them, the people that I know, I actually know them and their faces, I can see them today, um, is hard to imagine what they go through. It uh, reminds me that life is short, that uh, we're only here for a short time, and to live out each day as best we can, and to devote it to the one who holds it all together, and that's God. I would say that if you've ever felt your heart kind of quicken when people talk about mission trips, whether it's on a different continent or in a, in a city or in our own backyard, don't ignore that. Um, take a leap of faith and see what God can do through you. It's, it's very rewarding and you'll be so much more rewarded than the people that you actually encounter. It, it will change your life. All right, let's start off with a guilt trip. How many of you really think you should have gone somewhere and you didn't? Uh, no, I didn't mean it for real. You know, like, now everybody knows, okay? <clears throat> but I know that feeling that you believe you're supposed to do something. Maybe it's right here in Mount Pleasant. Maybe it's somewhere else in the state or another state. And maybe it is internationally. What Mike is saying is true, that God speaks to you and... What he's trying to say to you is this, and we said it a few weeks ago, I can't do it without you. So he's chosen to use us to communicate the gospel. So he can't do it without us. He wants to do it through us. So it's up to you to hear what God is saying. Now, you came here today to grow, but what about the rest of the week? Tomorrow will you go? Because people who are growing are going. Now, going means you may go to work tomorrow right here in mid-Michigan. And by doing that, you have an opportunity if you have said to God what we're going to learn about today. 
because that is our tagline. It's going, going, gone. If you are going, then you're going to be growing, and you always want to be growing as a Christian so that you can give away everything that God has given to you. I'm so thankful that in the counsel of the godly, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, before the foundations of the world, and we can only imagine this, we don't know how to pull from what I'm about to say because we weren't there. But knowing our God as best we do, we know that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had a plan for the salvation of mankind. And I'm so thankful that when that plan was established, that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, said, send me. Because he came out of his own will to do a lot of things that we'll talk about this morning. And that sets a model for you and me. We can find that model in the Scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 6, this is a story of Isaiah's loss of his very best friend, Uzziah, who was the king. Now, Uzziah had been a good king for a long period of time. But as things went along, he decided to cross over the line that God does not allow. And instead of just accepting the fact that he was king, he tried to be a priest also. And so he went in and he sprinkled things around and God struck him with leprosy in the latter days of his life were not good. And Isaiah is really broken over this. Now his best friend dies. And Isaiah said, well, I need to go to the temple to pray about this. Watch what the Bible says happened in Isaiah's life starting in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. We're going to stop right there and talk about that part for a moment. Here's a broken-hearted prophet going in to cry over the loss of his best friend. And when he gets to this temple, he has this vision, and he sees God on his throne. Now, others have seen that. Daniel saw it. Ezekiel saw it. In Revelation, John mentions the throne 35 times because it's the most awesome vision anyone could ever have is the very throne of the creator of the entire universe. And he's overwhelmed by seeing this in the temple and the train of the robe that God wore filled the entire room and the angels are just making smoke. And if you go and you read about the angels in Ezekiel, you find that they're like a wheel within a wheel and eyes everywhere, and just something that man cannot imagine. But Isaiah did his best to record this, and, and when he sees it and he sees the fiery angels, he is just overwhelmed because no one can see the Lord and live. That's the rule. 
So he knows I have seen something that I should not have seen. I am not privileged to be able to see this. And so it, it caused introspection. The moment that you come to know God for who he really is, he turns that focus back on self and you begin to recognize who you really are. You cannot know yourself until you know God. And God is presenting himself to Isaiah in such a way that, that Isaiah is really just scared to death. He is undone. Undoneness is the first step toward learning how to go. The question is, who should go? Now, in that setting of who should go, all of us should go. That's why we say, who should go? Everyone. You're not excluded. But what we're not saying is everyone should go to South Africa. Everyone should go to Ireland. Everyone should go to somewhere else in the world. No, we're just saying that when you rise in the morning and you've got six more days till you come back here, with that rest of the week, your responsibility then is to go live out what God has put in you so that on Sunday you fill up and then you run to empty all the way through Saturday night and you come back and you fill up again. Now, hopefully, that's not the only time you're filling up. If that's the case, you haven't used much gas. You need to be emptying out all day long, every day, feeding yourself the Word of God on a daily basis so that you can go and do what God has called you to do. It's important to hear that call. And God's not going to call you based on your qualifications. Understand that. God doesn't call the qualified. You've heard this before. He qualifies the called. There's a pastor who's known as Brother Ben. Brother Ben went to the denomination of which he was a member some 30 years ago, and he said, I believe I'm supposed to be a missionary. And the agency checked him out, and they said, well, you don't have an education. You're just a high school graduate. Now, you don't have very many skills. You've only worked in carpentry. So we don't believe that you're understanding God's call properly. He said, okay, if, if that's your wisdom, I accept that. Within a year, he had been able to gather together some supporters, not for himself personally, because he was still working in carpentry, but they bought an old warehouse. And they began to fill that warehouse with product. The product with the things like our care store carries and like the shelters carry with food, with blankets, with furniture, everything you could imagine. It was almost a 200,000 square foot warehouse and it was filling up quickly. He then went right across the border from Harlingen, Texas to Metamoros, Texas, uh, Mexico. And he found some pastors. He said, I have some things I'd like to give you. And they said, okay. So he built relationships. Before long, he was supporting 80 pastors in Mexico. And then he began something called the big feed. Right around Christmas every year, over 200 people 
from the United States will come to Harlingen to his warehouse and the campsite that he bought that can house 200 people. Now, you got about 50 in a room. All right, the guys on one side, the girls on the other in bunk beds, and it's cold on that uh, line of demarcation there between Mexico and, and Texas in the wintertime. It's cold down there. And, and the next day, after some training, you pile on to buses. I think there were probably 10 or 15 big school buses, and the back of the school buses are filled with chickens. They've all been prepped and ready to cook, and then the front is the people. And we get to the border, and Brother Ben goes, and he shows the paperwork, and he gets permission. None of us have to get off the bus or do anything or show any identification, and we roll in to Metamoros. And in Metamoros, we saw what had been pre-constructed by some of the teams that had gone before us, and they were grills on concrete blocks that ran about the length of a football field. And they started putting the chickens on that, and then they set up the other lines, and then they set up a giveaway where they had bicycles and sewing machines and all sorts of things that they could give away by raffle. And the raffle tickets were free. And we fed 5,000 people that day. And then we went in teams out throughout the villages sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's done that for 30 years, and he still reaches thousands and thousands of people, but he's not qualified. You see, God calls and plants something in your heart. It may be to start something in your home. It may be to reach out to someone that's in a shelter here to work with our care store. It may be to go and, and clean something at the school. But God's calling every single one of you. And not a single one of you are qualified. I mean, I was an undercover agent who never spoke. I listened. I watched. I reported. I ducked. I did whatever was necessary. But I did not talk. And when the, the pastor said to me, God wants you to go into ministry. You know, no, no, he didn't want me. I'm not qualified to do that. And then I got the lecture that I'm giving you. Same thing, you know. No, you're not qualified. Well, then why should I go? Because God's calling. Well, will I get qualified? Yes. How? You're going to seminary. Great. What's that? And I went. And now after 44 years, God continues to equip me to do what he's called me to do. He will equip you. But here's what I like about Isaiah. Let me read the rest of that passage, starting in verse 5. Here's Isaiah's response. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I said, Here am I. Send me. What's that all about? The sin that is within you and me 
has to be removed. And the fire of God has to remove it. The Spirit of God is often throughout Scripture called the fire. And what happened here was this fiery angel, I love this, he's a fiery angel. He's burning and shooting out smoke and fire, but he has to have tongs to get the coal off. <laughs> That's rather ironic. And, and then, he, then he drops it in his hand and he brings it to him and he puts it on his lips. What is that symbolic of? The lips are the most sensitive part of the entire body. And so he goes to the very part of it and get this though, the pain of that burning does not equate to the joy of what it accomplishes. Because when your sin is forgiven, then you have this amazing joy and you are ready. And did you ever think of this? The fact that he said, send me, is so much better than saying, I'll go. You see, when you say, oh, I'll go, then that puts it back on the other party to say, well, let me think whether or not I can use you and where you need to go. No, don't, don't hedge the bet like that. Well, I'll go if you really need me, if it's you calling. No, just say, look, send me. That's what he did. He said, send me. God said, all right, here you go. And he sent him on his mission to the nations. It's time for you to listen to what God is saying. It doesn't matter what you do for a living in your life. It doesn't matter where you end up going. But the rest of the week needs to be in service to God in the same way that today is. So listen carefully to what God wants you to do. Say, send me, Lord. I said that having no idea where I would end up. That's how you have to do it. So that's the answer to the first question. Who should go? Everyone. Second question, where do we go? Matthew chapter 28, just five verses, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, now this is the resurrected Christ, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, here's the answer, of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You're going to go everywhere. Who's going to go? Everyone. Where are, you, where are you going to go? Everywhere. Wherever God chooses to send you. I had comfortably been in ministry for 26 years. And the last 16 of those had been at a church as a senior pastor. I was fine. I had answered God's call. I didn't need to go somewhere else. This was it. And then I find myself in another church worshiping on a Friday night, listening to a young man who's talking to people like I'm talking to you now, saying, somebody in here is ready to go. God is going to speak to you. Now, that man preached every Friday and Saturday night for six months. He wasn't even from that community. He flew in every, every week. And I went every week to hear him. And one of those weeks, I heard God saying to me, I want you to leave and go somewhere for me. Now, okay, God, send me. 
And then I asked the next question, where are you going to send me? He said, well, until you leave where you are, I'm not going to tell you. What? <laughs> nope, this requires faith. My call came to you. I qualified you to accept it, and you've been doing it. Now I'm calling you to a different thing for a different period of history, and you just need to trust me and do whatever it is I'm calling you to do. So in 2001, Linda and I left the church we had been pastoring. And that very summer, God spoke to Linda, said, I'm calling you. He didn't call me first. He called her first. And he said, I'm calling you to go do something for me. And she woke up early in the morning, went to the prayer center down in Colorado Springs. She met an African pastor. He said, God sent me here to meet you because you and your husband are coming to Africa to help us. Is that a clear sign? I mean, can you deny that? Within a period of a few months, we made our very first trip. That's 17 years ago. Fifteen nations later, four churches, one parachurch organization, in that 17 years, God has used us to bring revival into the lives of people. We were told when we were sent, you're not missionaries, you're not evangelists, you're revivalists. You bring Jesus to the people, and I will take care of it from there. You see, when, when God calls, he may specifically tell you, I need you to go here. This coming year, we're hoping to offer a trip to Spain with some new people that we've engaged with and uh, be a, a mission trip for a, a few days, a couple of weeks maybe, to do work over there. We're looking to work with Discovery Church, our church that we help support in Ireland and send some missions people there. We're going back to South Africa. So they're going to be multiplying opportunities for you, even as there are multiplying opportunities here, which we're going to see increase as our groups start going out and doing things in the community. So we're very excited that God has called us as a church, the body of Christ, to go do things for him. But you have to get ready to do that because you never know what he's going to say. Watch Linda's video with me. Hi, I'm Linda Hostetter, and I have the privilege of serving the Lord globally. The Lord called me in 2001 to serve widows. I did not know what I was going to do. So I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and God showed me what I was to do, how I was to do it, and where I was to do it. I'd like to share with you what I've seen God do over the past 17 years. During these trips, many women, we're talking hundreds of women, maybe thousands of women, have been drawn into a relationship with our Lord and Savior. In addition to that, we've had the opportunity to build a center where widows will come to learn skills. We have seen God set widows free so that they keep their eyes on Jesus rather than their circumstances. And they are now encouraged to go out and be the women they were called to be. The question that's been asked me is, to whom should we go? I am going to widows, and I'm going to widows in many nations. 
Now that may sound strange because most missionaries only go to one nation. However, God told me that I would be going to many nations and so I've been obedient to that. Now, I have a question for you. To whom are you going to go? Who are you going to go to? You see, right now, God is planting in you a seed. And some of you are hearing that. You're hearing God is tugging at you. He wants you to do something this week to get ready to do something locally, nationally, internationally. But he's calling you because that's our mission. When we say we're here to lead people into a focused life with Jesus Christ, we can do that in Detroit. We can do that in Atlanta. We can do that in Las Vegas, we can do that. In Ireland, we can do that all over the world. But it takes we to do it. So you have to make that decision. Now, something that Mike said earlier in his video still rings true. And that is that most often, you are going to receive more change in your own life as a result of going than the people to whom you go. It's just going to happen because you're going to see other parts of God's kingdom locally, nationally, internationally. And, and in seeing that, you're going to see that we're not the only ones that do this on Sundays, and the way we do it is not the way everybody else does it. One of my early trips to Nigeria, when they announced the offering, I thought it would be like ours, you know, as the ushers come forward. You know, hopefully you've already written your checks or you've already gone online and, and given or it's automatically deducted and, you know, so it's not a big deal in, in that sense. And we play a worship song and then we move on. And it's an act of worship for sure. But let me tell you, maybe some of you have experienced it. But in Africa, when the man stood up and said, it's now time to give our tithes and our offerings and our gifts to God, the whole place just erupted in praise and clapping and applauding, and I'm thinking, okay, not the way we do it, a little bit different. And I accepted that. That's okay. But then the band started, and the women got up first, and they started dancing down the aisles, just dancing, and they were waving their money. And they came down, and there was a box right there in the front, and they would do circles, and then they would drop it in. And I thought, wow. Look at the joy that they have. You know, then the children would come, and then the fathers would come. And I thought, he's getting a lot of money. Boy, look at that. Everybody dropped something in. I have here some money from Nigeria. I'm rich. This is 500. This is a 500 Naira bill. <clears throat> it's worth $1.27. It is. So a $100 Naira, a 100 Naira, is worth 27 cents. That's what they were dropping in. But they were doing it with great joy because they had read that passage in Mark when Jesus said they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave all she had. It just really hit me hard that, wow, those people understand the joy of giving. They have nothing. This is a very poor church that we work with. The pastor doesn't take a salary. He's supported by some other people who believe in what he's doing. All of this money is probably enough to feed two or three families for a week, and that's it. 
But these people continue to come because what they are receiving is far more beneficial than what they are giving because they understand what they have received from Christ. Christ gave from his fullness and emptied himself for you and for me. He gave everything that he was and had. When he hung on the cross, he took of himself, gave himself away, and replaced it with our sins. That is not an equitable trade. But all of the sins of all the generations landed on him, and he became sin for us. And he paid the price so that you and I have life eternal. When we respond to his initial call for salvation, when he offers himself and says, come unto me, ye who are burdened and heavy laden, because he wants to give you the rest you need, the eternal rest in him. So he gave it all that we might have what we need, and now he's simply asking us, in response to the gift you have received, will you not give? We're not talking money here. We're talking, will you give of yourself? Will you present yourself a living sacrifice, which is your logical, reasonable service, and go every day of the week looking for an opportunity, just saying, God, let me be wherever it is you need me to be at that particular time. Last night, I told Linda, okay, I'll finish the boxes that we were putting together, and I'll go ahead and take them to the church Saturday night so I don't have to worry about it on Sunday morning. She said, good idea. I came over here last night at 6 o'clock. Place is dark. Nobody's here at all. I come in, lock the doors behind me because I, I know my own capabilities, and, and I can't run anymore. So... <laughs> I keep it locked, and I'm in there working and, and putting the, band, the rubber bands around it and the little girl stickers on it. I'm going, oh, who's bothering me? You know, who would come to the church at this time of night? Oh, Lord, don't let it be, you know, and I thought, shut up. So I slap myself, go over and open the door. Here's a family with two huge cases full of boxes. We didn't know if we were going to be able to get them here in time. And I said, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, thank you, Jesus, I'm an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's not all about me. But thank you that you had me here at the right time for this little thing. No, it's not little. They had 20 boxes. That's 2,000 people that are going to hear the gospel. Now, do I want to keep 2,000 people from hearing the gospel out of disobedience? No, and neither do you. So God has called us to go wherever it is that he chooses to take us. Who goes? Everyone. Where do they go? Everywhere. So what do you say? That's our third question. What should we say? There's a hesitancy to speak in front of people, isn't there? That's the number one fear of most people. Do you know there's also a hesitancy to sit one-on-one -on -one with an unbeliever because you're fearful of rejection? You're fearful that I don't know enough to speak to this person. I'm not sure I know what to say. No, God will give you the words to speak, so don't worry about that. Just make sure you have a Bible with you because your conversation is between him and the Bible, not between you and him. You have to know what to say, and the Bible is just rich with what to say. Last week, Alan said, there's more to Christianity than coming to church on Sunday. Christianity is not a theory. It's love in action. 
It's not a theory. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It is love, the love of Jesus Christ in action through you. And he will give you the words to speak. But you have to be ready and not fearful. I met Alan Cullen in 2005. I met him at a big boy restaurant on Telegraph Road down in Southfield, Michigan. He came to me and said, I'm starting a church in Ireland. He said, I would love it if you could come over and help stuff envelopes because we have 10,000 mailers we want to put in the boxes of the people. And I said, well, that's, that's not something I do. Because it wasn't. I don't go stuff envelopes. I didn't feel any call from God to go do this. He said, well, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And I said, yeah, not a problem. I get home. Linda said, how'd it go? I said, oh, he's a very nice guy. Really liked him. I said, you know, he's young. He's, he's getting there. He's trying to start a church, and he wants to, somebody to come over and help fold all these things and stuff them, and 10,000 of them. And she said, are you going to go? I said, no. She said, well, then I am. <laughs> I said, well, you go, girl. She took seven women, they went over, and they worked for about nine days. They stuffed 10,000 of those things, and that began our relationship. It was more a relationship of Alan and Kelly with Linda than it was with me. <laughs> but over a period of three years, we went eight times, and we helped start that church. And Alan was its pastor until God called him to leave it to his brother. Now, just so you guys know, Alan is there right now. He left Saturday to go home because his sister's getting her master's degree and being awarded with it, and so it's so exciting. But I know the real reason he went is because he gets all of his sermons from his brother. <laughs> Watch this video with me. Hello, Mount Pleasant. Um, my name is Paul Cullen, and some of you might know my little baby brother, Alan Cullen. And um, so it's just with great joy that I wanted to send you guys a message today. And in particular, I just wanted to say um, that for the last 18 months, Mount Pleasant has been partnering with a local church here in Ireland um, that I get to pastor called Discovery Church. And you've been praying for us and you've been investing in us and you've been caring towards us. So I just want to say a huge thank you. And I also want to say thank you so much for looking after my little brother and his family. Uh, I really appreciate you doing that. Um, as well as passing on that message of gratitude and thanks, um, I'm aware that you guys are in the middle of a series at the moment that you're learning as a church how to be a people um, who not only carry the kingdom of God, but know how to share that, know how to express the grace and, and, and the love of God with other people and to be intentional and deliberate and purposeful about that and effective in that. And so the guys asked me what would be What's the opening gambit? How do, you, how do you connect? What's the phrase? What's the, what's the thing that helps you just start a conversation with somebody that perhaps is going to change their lives? It took some time to pray, think about what Jesus did in the Gospels. And if this doesn't sound too simplistic, I'm going to suggest to you today that perhaps the, the step towards connecting with others, the, the, the golden bullet phrase that we all search for is just a single word and it's just the word hello nothing more nothing less simply a willingness to begin a conversation 
There's no particular right way or wrong way to do it. Jesus asks a woman at a well for a drink of water and it changes her life. It just starts with a hello. So pray God blesses you on that journey and uh, I look forward to hearing stories of lives changed and great success. Um, thank you for all that you do. God bless you. Practice that, my little baby brother. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> I want you to say that to him when you see him when he gets back. Said, we saw your, your big brother little baby brother. <laughs> Hello. Isn't that simple? It's relationship because that's why Christ came to build a relationship with you and me. Now I'm in relationship with him. He wants me to go and be in relationship with others. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have understanding and everything. All I have to do is befriend someone. Uh, for the five years I've been in Mount Pleasant, I've been befriending people. I mean, a lot of them have been at the fix the auto places, <laughs> but I'm getting to know them real well. And, but you know, you never know what benefits that's going to pay in the future. Is that if you live your life out the way God wants you to, and you just say hello to people and start a conversation, God will lead it to the point that you can have an impact in them. So you need to hear him. You need to respond to him. You need to go where he's calling you to go, and you simply say, hello. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. As I read for you what Jesus said to the disciples, he was ready to send them out, and he wanted them to go in order to communicate the kingdom of God. Listen to what he says, Matthew 10, two verses. As you go... Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is something we should be shouting from the rooftop. So let's stand together, and that's exactly what we're going to do as we end our worship with the Lord.